release the JJ cut? What Star Wars rumors can tell us about media messaging in the 2020s. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And on this, the very first episode of Virtual Legality in the year 2020, I have to apologize in advance. For in winter in Michigan, very often, whether it's the fault of my kids or myself, I get a little bug. And that particular bug tends to hurt my voice, tends to hurt my throat a little bit. So I hope you don't mind putting up with what is a little bit more raspy, Richard Hogue, on this episode of Virtual Legality. But I thought there was just an interesting enough issue today and one that is very close to my heart as it relates to pop culture and Star Wars messaging, corporations fighting, that I wanted to have the discussion because it is a bit of a rarity that something kind of organically pops up, winds up with a trending Twitter hashtag and major news articles. And so without further ado, I want to talk to you a little bit about Reddit and about in particular a subreddit called Saltier Than Crate. Now, if you're not familiar with this particular subreddit, it was built up to be a kind of analytical response to Disney's Star Wars trilogy when The Last Jedi came out. So in about December of 2017, you can see on the side of your screen that the cake day is December 16th, 2017, which I believe was the first day that The Last Jedi came out. But suffice it to say, this particular subreddit was based around people that were discussing the issues that they had with the narrative flow and other problems with Disney's Star Wars trilogy, really starting with The Last Jedi, but also kind of looking backwards at The Force Awakens and now at The Rise of Skywalker, now that it has been released as of the middle of December of last month in 2019. But that's just background. I've been a member of this particular community for a while. Uh, if you're not familiar with my background, the background of the channel or Hoglaw's essays on Star Wars, uh, one of the very first pop culture things that I did well before virtual legality and before I was doing YouTube episodes of any kind was an article called uh, Luke Skywalker, The Last Jedi and Heroism in the Age of Trump, of all things, that went a little bit viral, introduced me to Reddit, introduced me to various places in the Star Wars community, Tumblr, things that I had never experienced or seen on the internet before. And that was one of the ways that kind of the pop culture arm of Hoglaw developed. Uh, and so I've been a member of this community for a while. Ego Shop here, who we're about to talk about, is actually a moderator here. Uh, and I have seen them doing various things on this site well before this post that has gone viral and has become national news. Uh, and so that is one of the reasons why I give it a little bit more credence than I might otherwise. Although one of the things we're going to talk about is it's the Internet, right? And what can you trust? The answer is you can't trust anything. But you can take a critical eye to the comments that you see about the news that you're given, the information you are told, what the tilt and various agendas and angles of various folks might have. And you can come up with your own decisions about whether or not to fully believe something. Uh, and while I won't recommend that you just blindly fully believe in something, I think that you can take a look at what is presented even on a random subreddit, even on uh, an anonymous post from an anonymous source. And you can t look at that, you can evaluate it, and you can think about the things that we regularly think about in virtual legality, not just because it's fun and it's fun to think about Star Wars and it's fun to think about Disney and Lucasfilm fighting and J.J. Abrams and all these famous people kind of having issues relationship wise uh, or otherwise. Uh, but it's also good to kind of think about how to read these things on stuff that's more important, whether that's foreign affairs or politics or anything that might be very important to you to kind of look at these things with a critical eye, to understand the messaging, to remember to think about agendas. 
And that's really the purpose of this video today is to take something that's very important to me, very interesting to me, Star Wars and Disney and what's happened since they bought it in 2012, and to look at it through the lens of a lawyer that regularly looks at statements and has to evaluate the validity of things that maybe we don't have perfect information on. And so without further ado, let's take a look at what this post actually said. Here's what I've been told from a source that worked on TROS, which is The Rise of Skywalker, Episode 9, the Star Wars movie that is currently playing in theaters. Since shortly after release weekend, I've been corresponding with someone who worked closely on the production of TROS and works for one of the major companies I cannot disclose here. I have verified the source to my satisfaction. To protect the source, I am rewording what we spoke about over the last two weeks and am submitting it to you in bullet point format. I have written based on what they told me. The TLDR, too long didn't read, is that they were upset with the final product of TROS and wanted to share their perspective on how it went down and where it went wrong. Now, one of the reasons that I wanted to take this and talk to you about it in a virtual legality, in video form, is not just because I love Star Wars and I love talking about these things, which, you know, guilty as charged, but is also because it went significantly viral. It became a, twin, a trending Twitter hashtag. It was reported on in places like Newsweek. As we see here from about noon today, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker rumors cite Disney meddling as release the JJ cut trends. A leak of the alleged backstory and changes that went into Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker has appeared on Reddit, leading to fan outcry. The latest movie in Disney's Star Wars trilogy has been the source of constant internet discussion since its release, with a group of vocal viewers upset at the final result. Reddit subs saltier than crate, referencing the salt mining planet from the Star Wars mythos, originally first appearing in The Last Jedi, sprung up for those to discuss their distaste for the final movie. Now, I want to take a step back right there, because I think this is an important thing we can take that doesn't necessarily just relate to Star Wars. If you look at that, and you listen to the background that I just gave at the start of this video, you know that that's false, right? Saltier Than Crate didn't spring up to discuss folks' taste distaste for the final movie. It doesn't make much sense as a title, for the most part, because Crate doesn't even appear in The Rise of Skywalker. It was built and developed out of people's distaste for The Last Jedi. Now, that's an easy thing to make a mistake on. It doesn't matter for this article. It's not something that you should use to completely devalue what this article says or what this author might say. But it's worth noting that when you're close to something, these things pop up more obviously for you. And you can assume that when you're not as close to something that you still should go and look at the source material. We talk about that a lot in virtual legality. Here, the source material would be saltier than Crate itself. But it's because these kind of small details often get lost in translation. This is Newsweek. This is a major national kind of outlet, and it makes a mistake like this. So on things that are more important than Star Wars, you can assume that certain small things are having mistakes made around them throughout all of these kind of journalistic endeavors. And while they're doing a good job, they're doing the best they can, it behooves you to try to go find that source material if you can. And that includes if you're listening to a virtual legality. One of the reasons I link to all the articles here in the description to my videos is so that you can look at these articles yourself and that you can say, hey, Rick, you're being an idiot about X, Y, or Z in that article. Maybe leave a comment to the video and explain to me what I missed when I did an analysis in virtual legality. I love that stuff. And that's why I leave the links, hopefully to the source material for my video, which in this case would lead to additional source material for the mistake itself. But that's the overview, right? That's Newsweek. They're talking about what's going to happen in the post we are about to read. Similarly, a couple hours later, we get a post from NBC News that says, release the JJ Cut hashtag trends amid rumors about a different version of new Star Wars movie. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, the box office juggernaut of the holiday season, 
is meant to be the final word on the sprawling intergalactic saga that began more than 40 years ago. But some obsessive fans are circulating unverified rumors that there is more to the story. Now again, we'll take a step back, right? In that second sentence here, you already kind of get the tilt that this article is leaning towards. Some obsessive fans, not just normal fans, which kind of already denotes a certain amount of obsession. If you are a fan, if you are a fanatic for something, uh, then you're probably at least a certain amount obsessive. But these are obsessive fans. These are the worst of the worst. They're circulating not just rumors, which by their nature are unverified, but we'll, we'll put some belt and suspenders on that. We will highlight that issue for you. They're unverified rumors. One might ask what a verified rumor is. I suspect that's a fact, but we'll leave that aside for a second. That there is more to the story. Twitter lit up Thursday with a pair of hashtags, release the JJ cut and release the Abrams cut, based on unsubstantiated theories that Disney forced the Rise of Skywalker director JJ Abrams to make major changes to the movie and possesses a different, longer version. That's roughly what happened, right? But you can see even in this article, you've got obsessive, unverified, and unsubstantiated in the first three sentences of the article. They also go on to highlight a point which I think is going to be very useful to what we discuss here, which is that there was a different fan-led campaign that had this same kind of release the X-cut quality. And if you're not familiar with that issue, that was in relation to the movie Justice League, the Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash team-up film that was said to have a cut that Zack Snyder, the original director of that movie before Joss Whedon came in and either helped or take, took over, depending on your point of view on that question, had made that fans have been clamoring for for a long time. They describe it as the boisterous fan-led campaign known as Release the Snyder Cut gained steam over the last few years, climaxing in March when Snyder seemed to hint that a different cut of Justice League indeed exists and that it was up to the film's distributor, Warner Brothers, to release it. So that gives us a bit of background. I think that's actually a very useful data point that NBC News has highlighted here, that there has been in the very recent past some significant traction that has been gained from the message of a director, either hinting or otherwise directly stating that they have a cut that solves all the fans' problems and that is out there if but the studio would just release it, right? So when we talk about messaging and what you seek to achieve with your messaging, one of the things that you have to kind of take into account is how have previous messages that are attempting to do what you do are doing or are trying to do with the message that you're giving today, how have they been received in the past? And in this case, you can look at this and say, all right, one of the previous times that a director had kind of hinted that there was a better version out there that maybe was more responsive to what the fans wanted was a better film. When they hinted that, that got traction. Maybe it defended him somewhat. Maybe it got him a little bit better reputation or brand recognition. So you know going forward when you start to leak something to somebody like Ego Shop at Saltier Than Crate that maybe, just maybe, if you kind of hint that there's another cut, that that cut could be released, that you could get some traction. And of course, we're looking at it in hindsight and no more perfect time for it than to suggest that hindsight is 2020 here on January 2nd, 2020. And of course, in that hindsight, we can tell that it was successful that there is, in fact, a release the JJ cut that's trending, that's getting in Newsweek, that's getting on NBC News. But we can assume that people that do these kinds of things aren't idiots. And if they're not idiots, if their purpose was to get this kind of traction, this is the kind of thing that you would do. So let's actually now take a look at the post itself. So, as I said, 
This is Ego Shop. He's a moderator at Saltier Than Crate. He's put out this bullet point list of things that someone close to the production of The Rise of Skywalker has apparently given him. Now, this is where I do want to put a spoiler warning if you haven't seen the movie. We're not going to focus on narrative elements of the film, but there are a few of these bullet points that do relate to specific narrative elements that may or may not have been changed, depending on whether we accept what is being given to us in this post. And if you are sensitive to that, if you haven't seen the movie and you're interested in it, go see it, come back, have this discussion with us later. I don't want to spoil the movie for anybody, uh, but we are going to touch on a few of those narrative elements. The other thing I want to say is I think it's useful for purposes of this video when we're kind of concepting out why this statement might have been made, why a source would have approached Ego Shop and given him these statements, that we assume that that source does in fact exist. There is, of course, a second version of interpretation here that Ego Shop is just making this all up. He is crying for attention and just wants everybody to know his name. And so he's putting this out there on Saltier Than Crate because of question mark, question mark, question mark. I think that's worthwhile. I think you should always look at the internet with a critical eye. I suggest you do the same with this post, but it's not very interesting to discuss in a virtual legality episode. So we're going to assume for this purpose that the source does exist and that that source has an agenda of their own, which they admit in the first bullet point. Bullet point number one. The leakers for TROS had an agenda and are tied to Disney directly. This is in reference to the fact that a summary of the movie was actually leaked, I think, primarily on the subreddit Star Wars Leaks, maybe halfway through the summer, some really, really early time, because this movie obviously only came out a month ago. And as it turned out, those leaks were almost entirely accurate. So this first bullet point says they were actually leaked by Disney itself. My source confessed that they have an agenda as well, the source does, in that they struggle with ignoring what's been happening to someone who they think doesn't deserve it. And we will see here that this winds up being a defense of J.J. Abrams. And I think it's important whenever you're kind of trying to evaluate these things, right? This is a crazy list of bullet points. There are people in these comments. There are people elsewhere on the internet in different forums on a different subreddits telling you this is absolutely 100% true. There are other people saying this is obviously fabricated lies. Uh, and, you know, you might get sick of it from lawyers, but the truth is probably somewhere in between. Even if it's a fabrication, whether it's the source's fabrication or ego shops, this has obviously been constructed to match up with much of kind of the extraneous or ancillary details that people that follow Star Wars would already know. So you've got the leaks out there. Uh, and then you've got this kind of concept that J.J. has been put upon. And it kind of fills in the details about what we may have been observing over the past couple years. And if it's a lie... It's a well-produced lie. It's exactly what you would expect from a, for a liar to do. But if it's the truth, the problem with telling the truth in this scenario is probably it's going to match up with some of the stuff that's already leaked out with what you can already tell from the outside. And so it's not going to have any outward indicia of not being a lie that you can rely upon. That's one of the reasons why you have to look so critically at somebody that says, hey, I have an anonymous source. You have to trust me and I'm not going to give you any greater details. Uh, we're skipping that kind of analysis here because it's not terribly useful to what I want to talk about, but it is certainly useful when you're on the internet and you see these kinds of things. There's no necessarily, there's not necessarily a reason to believe that this is accurate, that this is true, uh, but it does say some things that if we assume is true, it doesn't necessarily mean that every bullet should be taken as sacrosanct. And that's one of the things I want to talk about. So this first bullet says, hey, I have an agenda myself. I want to defend J.J. Abrams. Uh, and that suggests to me that very likely they're on J.J. Abrams' team. They're on, in his camp. 
maybe a, a person that works with Bad Robot a lot. That's J.J. Abrams' company. Probably not someone who is working directly in-house at Disney, and certainly not someone that's working in the executive offices of Disney. Now, that could prove to be wrong if this ever comes out and we ever have anything to kind of base it on, but it's useful to kind of think about a source and bullets like this as having an agenda of their own and having access to only specific information because one thing that human beings do, and I do this too, everybody does it, is that they tend to conflate the facts that they know with the opinions that they have about those facts, beliefs about those facts, and potentially the beliefs that someone else might have about the facts as they deliver them. You know this in your heart, right? You go and you tell a story to your significant other or to your kids or to your parents or whoever it might be in your life. You select details or you omit certain details to frame the story the way you want it to be framed. Some of that is conscious. Some of that is subconscious. So when we look at a list of things like this, one of the things that we have to think about is, okay, they are admitting to having an agenda. That's good because there is nobody that would just kind of leak a hundred bullet points to a random person on Reddit if this person exists and not have a reason for doing it of some kind. So everybody's going to have an agenda here. They admit it and their agenda is they want to protect J.J. Abrams. That suggests a lot of things, but it means that you have to take with even a bigger grain of salt, no pun intended, the things that are pro-JJ and anti-Disney. And specifically, you have to take with a grain of salt what they ascribe to Disney's motivations. And that's one of the things that I've seen on the internet after this came out as people pointing to as being obviously false, that you can throw all of this out because X, Y, or Z about Disney's motivations might be false. And I understand that impulse, but what I would suggest is instead of doing that, you read a list like this as saying, okay, this person, this source is ascribing certain feelings that maybe they don't have access to. Maybe we should put that in a different bucket and evaluate basically every statement that they are making premised around what facts and circumstances they might be privy to. Obviously, that's easier when you know the role that the person has, that you know the function that they have. That's why this is harder when you just have an anonymous source. But it's still a worthwhile practice to go through, even with that kind of anonymity, because it doesn't make sense to just throw the whole thing out or accept the whole thing unless you think it's a total fabrication from Mr. or Ms. Ego Shop. Continuing, JJ always treated everyone on and off set with respect. So my source's agenda is that what Disney has done to JJ and how much they screwed him over should be something people are at least aware of, whether you like him as a filmmaker or not. Disney was one of the studios who were in that bad robot bidding war last year. Disney never had much interest in Bad Robot as a company, but they did in J.J. because they saw Warner Brothers, who J.J. went with in the end, as a major threat. Now, again, this is all accurate. If you're following any of this, if you follow it, we might have discussed it in virtual legality, but Bad Robot, J.J. Abrams' production house, wound up in a bidding war amongst all of the various movie studios uh, about where he should do his work going forward for a number of years. Uh, and ultimately, Warner Brothers won the bidding war. Disney was very much involved in that bidding war, and they lost. Now we get a little bit of a story from that. Say the Continuing in the bullet points, says, J.J. is very successful at bringing franchises back like Mission Impossible, Star Trek, and Star Wars. WB is struggling with DC, DC Comics. And aside from Wonder Woman, DC is still seen as a bit of a joke in its current state by the general audience. Now, I personally very much liked Aquaman, but that's neither here nor there. It is... Absolutely the truth that they failed with their Justice League setup with their Batman and their Superman and that J.J. Abrams has been successful reviving Star Trek. I don't think he necessarily was that successful with Mission Impossible 3, but that was his first feature film. And he was 
definitely successful with Star Wars The Force Awakens. You can credit that to timing, the reappearance of the original trilogy characters and actors, or anything else outside of J.J. Abrams if you are so inclined. But the fact remains that The Force Awakens was one of the most successful movies in history, and J.J. Abrams was one of the driving factors behind that. Warner Brothers wants Abrams for some DC projects. My source said this generation's Star Wars is the MCU, that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Marvel's biggest threat is a well-operational DC. They want to keep DC in the limbo that they are in right now. Abrams jump-starting that franchise with something like a successful audience-pleasing Superman movie makes them nervous. Their goal is to make J.J. look bad to potential investor shareholders. They're being Disney in that particular sentence. This is one of the bullets that people complain about and saying that's ridiculous, that's conspiratorial. I tend to agree, right? You're listening to this virtual reality and say, hey, Rick, we're discussing this like it's the truth. You obviously think there's a certain amount of veracity here. And in general, I think there's a broad kind of plausibility to this post and to these bullet points. But this particular point, I think, is probably wrong or at least goes a little bit too far into conspiracy theory. And the way I look at that is, okay, if we assume that somebody's pro-JJ Abrams, maybe works directly for Bad Robot, at least works closely with JJ, one of the things that you've got is you've got a Disney and a boardroom and a black box that is doing these things to you. And if any of this is true, they are things that you don't like. And so you start to say, why would they possibly be doing these things? And maybe they started doing them because you are now working for the enemy and you're going to work on DC Comics in the future. Or maybe they started doing them because they're relatively incompetent at making Star Wars movies and they are trying to right the ship after The Last Jedi went and divided the fan base. So it's this kind of commentary that I think is the best described by what I said at the top of kind of discussing this post, which is that when you've got a source, when you've got anybody telling you anything about anything, really, they tend to conflate their own beliefs and opinions. To me, this reads as somebody that has had a discussion on the inside, on the JJ side of the spectrum, and said, this is what Disney's doing to us. How dare they? And then they leaked it to Saltier Than Crate and Ego Shop, which makes perfect sense because the entire purpose of this leak is to defend JJ Abrams. And if you've got something that you can essentially point to as Disney twirling their mustache and tying someone to the tracks just because of their sheer villainy and capitalistic tendencies or whatever, can help you make that case, can t sell that narrative that J.J. Abrams is the beleaguered director that just couldn't handle all the studio interference. But I don't think that just because this is a little hyperbolized and obviously conspiratorial, you can throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think it would be better if this were stated as, hey, we don't actually know what Disney was thinking here. We think it might be this, but people are people. And this is the message that they wanted to convey to this subreddit. Continuing, my source mentioned this shortly after the premiere. The TROS we saw last night was not the TROS we thought we worked on. JJ was devastated and blindsided by this. He's been feeling down over the last six months because of some of the ridiculous demands Disney had that changed his movie's story. While the scenes were shot, a lot of the changes were made in post-production and the audio was re-recorded and altered. My sources said that they've never seen anything like this happen before. He's the director and he wasn't in the know about what they were doing behind his back. This is another set of bullet points that people are complaining about, right? If you are a director in Hollywood, you have a contract with the studio that you're working for. And you may or may not have final cut authority. You may or may not have authority to edit on your own. Maybe the studio has a part in that. Maybe they help you with your editing. The fact remains, one of the things that happens with these 
kind of relationships when you've got an IP as big as Star Wars, you're working with something like Disney, is that the executives, whether that's Kathleen Kennedy, the president of Lucasfilm, whether that goes up higher and it's Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, or Alan Horn, the chairman of the board, or whoever might be involved in this process, they will have notes, they will have things to say. And while this is reported here as somebody went behind his back and edited the movie, that does strike me again as probably hyperbole. I have no doubt that Disney exerted certain pressure on J.J. Abrams to do various things, X, Y, and Z, in The Rise of Skywalker, that he was party to those conversations and that some of them didn't go his way, and that in the interest of getting a movie done, and because it would be devastating to his reputation, as well as Disney's in a kind of mutually assured destruction sense, to just have him walk away from Star Wars Episode Nine halfway through production, that he went along with certain things. I don't know whether this happened exactly as it was described here. I tend to doubt it. But I do think there's kernels of truth here, that the movie that he put out there was not the movie that he set out to create. And this is being kind of presented to Saltier Than Crate and Reddit and NBC News and Newsweek on a more hyperbolized basis because this is the kind of thing that goes down in the year now 2020 and the internet and social media and Twitter hashtags and whatnot. Continuing, apparently JJ felt threatened over the month leading up to the premiere. Ryan was never meant to do episode nine, despite some rumors that he was. JJ was brought back by Iger, not Kathleen Kennedy. Disney insisted on more fan service, less controversy. These are various things that I would say uh, feed the existing biases and interpretation of events that you would find on someplace like Salter Than Crate and Reddit in general and the internet in general. But it basically says, hey, JJ was threatened by the evil studio. He was worried that his reputation would be tarnished by what was happening. Ryan Johnson, the director of The Last Jedi, was never going to have episode nine, despite what some people might have thought. JJ was actually brought in over the head of Kathleen Kennedy, which explains some of this friction that we're about to talk about a little bit more, etc., etc., etc. JJ's original agreement when he signed on was indicating he would have way more creative control than he did on The Force Awakens. It became evident that that wasn't the case only a couple of weeks into shooting when the trouble with meddling started. In other words, he got a better contract for The Rise of Skywalker than he did for The Force Awakens, whether or not that was Final Cut, whether or not there was other rights that he might have had in respect to the editing and the final product of the film. I don't know. These things are all behind closed doors. But here it's being suggested that he thought he would have more control and he wound up having less. And part of that you can see in the narrative itself, right? You don't need a bullet point to know that that probably happened. Because The Last Jedi comes out, Solo bombs a couple months after The Last Jedi comes out, and Disney and Lucasfilm and Star Wars in general would have been more concerned with the direction of the final film of the sequel trilogy. So whatever contract they entered into with J.J., it is likely that they were far more invested and interested in what was happening with Star Wars as a brand after the issue with Solo and after it was clear that something had happened. And that's without going so far as to say whether or not you like The Last Jedi or not. I don't care about that for purposes of, the, of this discussion. It's worthwhile enough to note that a lot of people didn't. And once a lot of people didn't, you have a major national, multinational corporation that has this very valuable intellectual property, and they are now invested in wanting to know what happens with it. J.J. Abrams is a creative, he's a writer, he's a director, and executives are not. But they have an interest in their investment. And so it's no surprise to me as a corporate attorney that when these things kind of happen at the same time, you've got this frustration, this friction, uh, and this cross-purposes from the studio, from the company that owns the studio, and from ultimately the creatives that are responsible for the movie. Now, while I think that's all hyperbolized up above about whether or not there was actually a shadow edit done behind his back, et cetera, et cetera, 
I have no doubt that this friction that is being described here existed. And certainly from kind of the demeanor of interviews and other things that you can see just out there in the world, there is obviously a kind of foundational friction about this movie amongst the actors, uh, the directors, and everybody else. John Boyega had a fairly epic set of tweets uh, from New Year's Eve, uh, and uh, I recommend you go check those out. I don't think we'll be doing a separate episode on those, but indicating that he was not happy with certain aspects of the movie and the relationships in the movie that I might have discussed in a previous video on this channel. Continuing with this post, said, J.J. wanted to do some scenes he thought were important, but Disney shut it down, citing budgetary reasons. That's absolutely true. I will tell you, I know that's true because that's true in every film. Uh, that's what the director in the studio always discuss. Budget, scenes, set building, etc., etc. May 2019, J.J. argued that those scenes were crucial. He had to let go of one of the scenes. The other scene he insisted on was approved at first. He did reshoots and additional photography in July. The new scene was shot at BR in October. The ending that will blow your mind, which was a quote that was around the movie uh, earlier this year, was a part of this. Older actors were included like Hayden, who played Anakin Skywalker in the prequels, Ewan, who's Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Samuel L. Jackson, who's another Jedi in the prequels, and anyone who wasn't animated. The Force ghosts were meant to be, weren't meant to be voices because they shot that footage on camera. The actors were in costumes. Rey was supposed to be surrounded by Force ghosts to serve as a sort of barrier between her and the Sith surrounding them. My source thinks, but can't 100% confirm that this is because of China, the removal of the ghosts. It's an office talk of sorts. Some VFX people claim they got a list of approved shades of blue, etc., etc. This bullet point basically talks about whether or not Disney was trying to appease what would be the Chinese audience uh, by not getting into various things with respect to ghosts and superstition that are otherwise prohibited in China. number of people look at this and say, hey, you know, the, the film actually bombed in China. Uh, and you say, well, maybe they didn't know that in advance, but The Last Jedi also bombed. Uh, and The Force Awakens, while the strongest of the Star Wars movies in China, didn't do that well itself. But again, I think this is the proper couching for what this source is saying, which is, hey, this is, the removal is maybe about China. This is what we think might have happened. And this also suggests that they're probably related to vi visual effects. Uh, but we don't know for sure. And that's an okay thing for a source to say because nobody knows these things for sure. This is thousands of people that work on these kinds of things. And that's why anything definitive that you get in a kind of anonymous release like this, you have to take with a grain of salt. Even if the person is exactly accurate about what they think happened, they probably didn't have all the knowledge on the ground in the first place. My source knows JJ well enough to know, know that he's not just, he's not the yelling type, but apparently in a meeting, he yelled something along the lines of, why don't you just put directed and written by Lucasfilm then? My source wasn't present for that exchange, but knows some who were. Certainly, that is the kind of thing that you would yell in frustration. I don't know that it adds much here. Uh, but if there was this kind of friction, uh, it's undoubtedly the kind of thing that a director would probably be inclined to say. Disney demanded that they shoot some scenes that they would have in it for merchandise. They Fly Now is one of them. That's a scene that was in a clip that was released earlier, if you haven't seen it already. But it's basically the three leads saying they fly now at each other. Uh, my source says that G JJ was most likely joking, not joking, when he said, you're right, in the interview where they asked him about TROS criticism. He basically said kind of sarcastically to those that didn't like The Rise of Skywalker, you're right. He also finished that by saying, if you did like it, you're right, too. It's a, it's a kind of coach speak, director speak in interviews that doesn't really strike me as that unusual. And again, we're kind of getting into those bullets that maybe don't mean anything, that are added to a, a spot like this to suggest a little bit more veracity than it might otherwise deserve. Now we get into some specifics. 
JJ's original early November cut was three hours and two minutes long. That is really long for a movie. It is also, significantly, I think almost the identical length of Avengers Endgame. And when the movie actually wound up coming out in December, it was about two hours and 15 minutes. I think there was like seven minutes of credits on top of it. And one of the main complaints in reviews was that it went too fast. And I will tell you, having seen it, if you haven't listened to my postmortem, that it did go too fast. It's very choppy. It's much more choppy than is traditional for a J.J. Abrams movie. And even those are traditionally very fast. This is faster and choppier still. Uh, And this is one of the things that is the reason for all of these bullets and all of this kind of consternation is that The Rise of Skywalker wound up being one of the lowest rated Star Wars movies. It's almost as lowly rated as The Phantom Menace, which came out in 1999 and certainly couldn't have been the intent of J.J. Abrams or Disney or anyone else. In January, J.J. suggested that they turn this into two films. My source told me this well before Terrio mentioned it in an interview a couple of days ago, Terrio being the co-writer with J.J. of this movie. When Disney said no, J.J. was content with making it three hours long. Over a period of nine months, J.J. started realizing that one by one, his ideas and whole scenes were being thrown out the window or entirely altered by people who have no business meddling with the creatives. Friction, executives, big money on the line, Disney upset about the status of Star Wars and The Last Jedi. We've heard all about this for the last two years at least. Uh, And that goes without saying that Kathleen Kennedy has removed or changed uh, or otherwise affected the production of virtually every Star Wars movie that they have gone forward making since the purchase in 2012. So if you take nothing else away from this, and maybe there's nothing to take away from this if you're so inclined to believe that, it's obvious that Lucasfilm and its directors and its creatives, and probably Disney above it, have this continuing issue with the creation of Star Wars, and it's going to be something that they need to look at. Does that mean that there's a release the JJ cut? I couldn't tell you, but that's how this message starts to kind of coalesce. They were not on the same page when it came to creative decisions, and it became obvious that Disney had an agenda. In addition to wanting to please shareholders, Disney could afford messing up Nine for the sake of the bigger picture when it came to protecting things unrelated to Nine. Again, this reads to me as defensiveness from somebody on JJ's side, right? Disney's doing weird stuff that we don't like and we disagree with, so they must be doing it out of animus or out of evil. Again, rather than assuming that and rather than just tossing out the sources non-existent, I generally think of Disney and their operation of Star Wars as incompetent rather than malicious. And so you look at something like this and say, all right, if Disney's doing all this stupid stuff that you don't like on the bad robot side of things, could it just be incompetence? And I think certainly when you look at Solo, when you look at The Last Jedi, when you look at the issues they had with Rogue One and the Boba Fett movie and everything else, I think Disney has proven that it can be incompetent in the operation of Star Wars more than malicious. They say the cut that J.J. eventually and hesitantly agreed to in early December was about 237. It wasn't the cut we saw, which he wouldn't have approved of. Apart from the Force Ghosts, there were other crucial and emotional scenes missing. The cut they released looked chopped and taped back together with weak scotch tape. J.J.'s words. This is one of the few places where this source apparently is quoting J.J. Abrams. And we obviously we're now two steps or three steps removed from accuracy there, so we have to take that with an even bigger grain of salt. We've got giant boulders of salt on our shoulders at this point. But suffice it to say, this is once again a reiteration of the claim that is problematic on its face, right? That there was a cut that JJ approved of that was 15 minutes longer, that had force ghosts and emotional scenes, et cetera, et cetera, and that they cut it down 15 minutes more without his approval behind his back and then showed it to him at the premiere without a warning. The cut they released looked chopped and taped back together with weak scotch tape. I will say this, the movie certainly does feel chopped and taped to get back together with weak scotch tape. 
So that's accurate to what the final film is. Whether or not that was JJ's doing or Disney's doing is an open question, but remember the agenda, right? This person is leaking information to us to defend JJ Abrams. So the best thing to do to accomplish that is to say this wasn't his movie. And if it's not his movie, there was a better one that he had made. He said the movie opened with Ray's tr training. There was more Rose in it. There were more scenes from prequel planets. I'm skipping a little bit ahead because if you're not really invested in Star Wars, I don't think you need all these details. Somebody was somebody's daughter. There was more healing. There was more uh, information given about what redemption would look like in the film itself. The late November cut had scenes with more rows. My source mentioned that Chris Terrio said that it was because of the Leia scenes that it was removed, but that is only partially true because she had four other scenes, Rose did, including two with Ray and Daisy, that Leia was not in. So all of this stuff is substance, right? They're trying to say, you would have liked J.J. Abrams' movie better. And this, I think, is one of the reasons that some people knee-jerk react to something like this, right? We're assuming for purposes of this discussion that it's true. But it's very easy for someone to say, okay, that's ridiculous. That's all fan wish fulfillment. That, hey, isn't it a surprise that, oh, you'll get more Rose that you wanted. You'll get more Finn and Poe if that's what you wanted. You'll get a better explanation for the way Kylo and Rey interact or whatever else might be your bugaboo. That would have been handled better in the movie that you will never get to see. J.J. Abrams is the greatest. Disney kept him down. Please follow him over to Warner Brothers. And that's what's trying to be accomplished by this messaging. And I think it's very easy for people to say, well, because it's that biased, and it admittedly is 100%, then I should discount the whole thing. But in my opinion, this reads much more as something that's plausible, but very strongly biased towards a specific narrative, and that we should try to pluck out what the truth elements are out of it, such as the nature of the friction, that there might have been these additional scenes, these additional concepts that might have made the movie flow better. Like every single movie ever made and released by Hollywood, there are undoubtedly scenes on the cutting room floor that maybe would have helped this movie breathe. Unlike some of those other movies, this movie in particular feels very, very condensed that it really could have used an extra 15 minutes, if not an extra half hour or hour. And so this all makes sense for somebody who has seen it, who loves Star Wars, and who wants it to have been better. This is something that folks like myself, to be quite honest, are susceptible to, to say, all right, that's probably, that's probably what happened because I would have loved to have seen a movie that flowed a little better, that meant a little more, that had a little better characterization, and that made a little bit more sense. And this says, JJ had that movie for you, Rick. JJ had that movie for you, and Disney killed it. Aren't they bad? JJ Abrams is the best. It finishes off this entire discussion by saying, J.J.'s cut still exists and will always exist. We most likely will never see it unless someone accidentally leaks it. So what did we talk about in that NBC News article? We talked about the fact that the Snyder cut issue, Justice League and Zack Snyder and what the Warner Brothers folks were dealing with was all about the fact that Zack Snyder was hinting that there was a version of Justice League that you would have liked but that Warner Brothers took it away from you, the fans, and that you should put pressure on them, you should back up Zack Snyder, and that maybe if you do so, you'll get the cut that you always wanted, although, although that's very unlikely. But more importantly, from Zack Snyder's perspective, or his team's perspective, or his production house, what have you, is that they are now separating themselves from the failure that happened with the DC Cinematic Universe. 
And very similarly, you can see that if you take this all together, and we skipped a lot of the substance of the Star Wars stuff because I don't think it's that important for this discussion, but we can obviously talk about it elsewhere if you want to catch me on Twitter or just leave a comment in this video about any of these particular bullets you found interesting or anything that you disagree with here. I'd be more than happy to have that discussion. That the premise of this is you lead folks down this primrose path that this wasn't the movie that J.J. started to make, that he set out to make with Chris Terrio, and that there were changes that were made. And you disregard the fact that, as I've said, changes will be made in every movie, especially when you're dealing with a multinational corporation like Disney, especially when that multinational corporation is dealing, in the instant case, with very significant and humiliating failures, such as with Solo, and whether or not they choose to admit it, The Last Jedi simply did not make as much money as they thought it could have off of a $220 million opening weekend. And when you're dealing with a company that has those kinds of concerns, it is no surprise that you have those frustrations, that you have that friction, that you have that kind of fight over what the soul of this intellectual property should be. So you are always going to be able to tell a story like this. And when you can tell a story like this, and you say, hey, I had a cut that was longer and it was better. It did everything that you wanted it to do. Just use your imagination. What did you want that movie to be? It was in there. And then they say, hey, that cut exists. It's out there. It will most likely always exist, but you'll never see it unless someone leaks it. Hashtag release the JJ cut. And hashtag release the JJ cut starts trending on Twitter. And it makes it into Newsweek. And it makes it into NBC News. And it becomes another data point that JJ Abrams and Bad Robot can point to. And they can say, hey... You know, these people were clamoring for X, Y, or Z, and it wasn't our fault. This was just a process that was beyond our control. When I make my Superman movie or my Aquaman movie or whatever it is I'm going to make over at DC, come check it out because you still trust me. I've made good Star Trek movies. I've made that Star Wars movie that you liked. I've made this other stuff that maybe you liked. Maybe you just really love Felicity from back in the day. Whatever it is, I'm your guy, and you should trust me. And so when taken on its whole... I believe this source exists, right? This reads to me very similar to corporate messaging. If Bad Robot itself had leaked this, and I think it would look a lot like this. I think it would look a lot like, here are the ways that JJ was going to do you right, and they weren't able to do you right because of Disney and interference from the mouse or whomever you want to blame, Kathleen Kennedy, Bob Iger, Alan Horn, that without that interference, you would have gotten the product that you like, and so that J.J. Abrams shouldn't be thought of as destroyed by this 53% rated movie, by the destruction of one of the most valuable intellectual properties on the planet Earth, and you should turn all of your animus towards Disney or towards the process. You can blame everybody or just the situation if you'd like, but that J.J. Abrams alone shouldn't be the one to blame for this entirely. And we go back to the agenda. J.J. treated everyone with respect, My source's agenda is that Disney has gone to J.J. and how much they screwed him over should be something that people are at least aware of whether you like him as a filmmaker or not. You should be aware that Disney did this, that J.J. isn't to blame, and that the Star Wars that you loved was there for the taking but for Disney. So please follow J.J. over to Warner Brothers. And so to me, I look at something like this, even though it's an anonymous Reddit post, even though it's not something that's official, I look at this and say that has all the indicia, all the hallmarks of what would be an official communication. It's very kind of plotted and planned for what you would expect uh, messaging to do. It's very focused on what it is seeking to achieve. And it ends with exactly what would be the action item. 
go tweet this, hashtag this, send this out to NBC News and Newsweek and everywhere else. That's what's going to be useful to us. Get it viral. Get it going. That it reads to me as professional enough that I strongly suspect that this source exists. I strongly suspect that this source is biased and that you should read each and every one of these bullet points with that bias firmly in mind, but not disregard them on the whole. And that you should do that with each and every news article that you read, each and every press release that you read, each and every YouTube video that you watch, including virtual legality. Figure out people's agendas. Think about their tilts. Figure out where they are leaning to and try to get to that source material if you can. Obviously, in this case, we can't get to the source material. The source is anonymous. But we can evaluate even what they are saying from the perspective that we should discount the anonymous source on its face, we should discount them for their agenda, and we should go forward and evaluate each and every statement that they make on the basis that they are, have that agenda and that they're trying to convince us to do or to think something. That's been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you enjoyed it. It's a bit of an unusual episode for us and a bit longer than I would have thought, uh, but I do love talking about this stuff. I love talking about it with you. I haven't done a Virtual Legality episode in some time, and I apologize for that. I've been dealing with this throat issue for some time as well. But if you like this, we talk about these kinds of things all the time. We did our Game of the Year 2019 series, which I still have to finish up due to my aforementioned illness. We've done stuff on Star Wars, certainly on the business and law of video games and pop culture. So do share it around. Tell your friends, anybody that you think might be interested, comment to this video. Tell me how wrong I am. Tell me how right I am. I get very little of that. So please leave that message if you're so inclined. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.